Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Toxin Tasting Studio, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. I'm Bull Hagen. And I'm not Berg. Yeah, we don't have Berg with us today. Get to feeling better, Berg. It's just uh, one and a half pastors today. That's so. right. <laughs> it's, it won't be as good. In fact, um, we don't have Peter with us even, so... So we will stumble along. So if you were listening, we had some other plans. We're actually going to go to what is called a Lutheran pastor clergy day at the Hill, where we are going to go to the Iowa State House with the other pastors of uh, the Missouri Synod in Iowa and get a chance to meet senators and congressmen. And we're going to bring a little recorder and have a great little show that way. But the weather got in the way, and uh, so we didn't have the opportunity to do that. So we're kind of putting this together today. Yeah, speaking of the weather, that motivated the drink selection today. Okay. So uh, for those of you who aren't following Iowa weather, like most of the world, we have a high of negative five today with winds um, creating a wind chill effect uh, between negative 30 and negative 45. So very cold here in north central Iowa. And uh, because of that, I picked up a little bit of prairie fire. Okay. Prairie fire is a hot cinnamon flavored whiskey. Okay. And uh, I thought a little bit of this, not too much, would uh, kindle, you know, warm us up a bit. We don't have Berg for a campfire catechesis today. Right. So we'll drink the fire and uh, hopefully that'll get us through this podcast. So this is this is kind of like uh, for people who really like Fireball, but they consider themselves too classy, or they're working on a Vickers budget. <laughs> it was cheaper than the Fireball. Really? Oh. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, whoa, whoa, slow down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's cinnamon. Tastes like cinnamon mouthwash. <laughs> kind of looks like it, too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's, uh, you know. It reminds me, I need to have my fluoride treatment here pretty soon. Yeah, it's it's got a, well, it's got kind of like a pink hue to it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, maybe orange in the light, but, uh, yeah, something <laughs> different. Well, thank you. Something different. It's, uh, <laughs> well, it's warm. I do what I can. All right. Well, it's named after a natural disaster, so. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, uh, upcoming, we have, uh, we are on Sexagesima within 60 days of the festival of Easter. So, the, the gospel reading for, um, that we I will be preaching on is uh, the parable of the sower. And uh, what do you remember about this parable, Vicar? Well, it's uh, probably the most f- familiar parable in people's minds. One of the reasons is because it it's recorded in multiple gospels, but also it's like it's one of the only, if not the only, parable Jesus explains. Right. And not only does he explain it, he he uh, talks about. Uh, why he speaks in parables. Right, yeah, from Matthew's from Matthew's gospel. So we have uh we have the sower sowing seed 
and there is a lot of soil that does not do well with the seed. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is also good soil in the in the parable as well. And I have reason to believe that the the seed planted was corn. One, because we live in Iowa, right? And and the second, he says, "He who has ears, let him hear." Love it. So, anyways, <laughs> I think there's warning in this parable, right? About uh, about the soil, how how faith can be choked out by the cares and concerns in this world, and and the the parable basically the sower scatters seeds all over the place, right? Right. And uh, like a lot of the parables, last week we had a parable of uh, a landowner who wasn't a very good businessman. He paid everyone the same. That's right. And here we have a farmer who isn't necessarily a good farmer. Yeah, that's a, that was a learning <laughs> point for me, not really being uh, a part of a rural community. There's a lot of money in seeds. Right. And I was just talking to someone the other day. A bag of seed is about $300. My goodness. Yeah. There's a lot of money invested for the far- on the farmer's sake mm-hmm. in seed and and my son's been working on a planter number 3 and uh he's been working with them to change kind of the the planter heads to make sure each seed is exactly the same depth uh so it's all uniform and it's very it's not like this parable it's it right. was, no seed is wasted that might be worth uh, an illustration in the sermon so um so it teaches, it shows how the seed grows, uh, and we would consider the seed being the word of God, right? That's what Jesus says. Yep. 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 And, uh, and uh, you know, a couple of things. One is, it's a reminder that uh, the seed needs to be continued to be nurtured. Right. And uh, to continue to hear the word of God, um, to receive forgiveness— and, and without nourishment, the seed does not grow. Right. Or when the cares and concerns of the life, or or if it doesn't, you know, all those different cases in this parable. The one I'm, I'm looking at is from Luke chapter 8, 4 through 15. Hmm. But also, I think it's interesting, though, to consider this, is we might get so focused in this parable of where it doesn't grow without realizing, ultimately, that the... The, the sower of the seed produces a harvest. He gets more than he scatters. Right. And so because he gets more than he scatters, it is a, a reason for hope for the church. Because I think we tend to be pessimistic sometimes about when it doesn't work and, and, and who is not here. But to remember also that the word of God in this parable has proven to be fruitful, that it grows. Right. And it grows... To, to bring in a heavenly harvest. Right. And so I think that's encouragement for the work of the church, is to remember that, that God continues to do his work, he continues to forgive sins, and the seed the seed grows. So continue to, to give the word of God. Amen. All right. Um, this is where Berg would have a nice, long little sermon for us, but he is not here. So that brings us to um, what it is, what it ain't, and what it could be. Peter, play the intro. What is it? Who knows? We do. It's time for what it is, what it ain't, what it could be. Um, now, the the topic today of what it is, what it ain't, and what it could be, and I, I could really have done a lot of different sections on this. 
okay. Okay. Um, but uh, we had an email from one of our favorite listeners. You know who one of our favorite listener is? Is it Hannah? Hannah, yes. All right. Uh, whenever we're short on content, we can always rely on Hannah to give us something to talk about. So uh, she asks this question, or she has this suggestion. I would like to hear your take on faith. Okay. okay. Yeah, great. So, so, uh, um, and she has here, um, I'd like to hear your take on faith and then versus belief. So, okay. So, um, basically, I, I'm going to start with faith and then we'll talk about belief. All right. All right. Yep. All right. So, what it is, it holds to the gospel of Christ. Pretty simple, right? Yeah, right. And 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 essentially, what that means is faith uh, within the child of God. The the object of that faith is Christ and His saving work on the cross and in the resurrection. That it holds the fact that we are justified by His grace, by His mercy. So, right. So, I think it's important to remember that faith. The word faith is thrown out all over the place, right? Right. And actually, within within uh, theology, there are many facets to faith, too, that we talk about. We talk about faith of the heart. We talk about the intellectual faith, knowing. Uh, we talk about um, uh, uh, the faith of the church and the way we confess faith. So, so really, even amongst the church, faith can mean a whole bunch of things. And I'm just kind of lumping them together. Like I said, I could do probably a whole one on each of these. Sure. But, but, but the importance here that I wanted to mention is is the object of faith, and, and, and it is it holds to the gospel of Christ, and it holds to Christ. Yeah, one of the key passages here, uh, when we talk about a definition for faith, is we want to look at Hebrews 11, mm-hmm. and you might get here. Are you going to get here eventually? Yeah, but go ahead. Okay, so Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, and this is the ESV, you know, we don't have Berg here to give us the uh, <laughs> the authorized, you know, King James. But but uh, the ESV translation here, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And the emphasis that faith clings to Christ, who we don't see with our physical eyes, his mm-hmm. glorified and crucified body, Um Faith clings to an object, which is Christ, and faith clings to an object that is not seen. Right. Um, right. And and I would say, I would add to that, um, you know, not only, you can, the sea can mean a lot of things, you know. It could be, you know, just actually seeing Jesus on the cross or something, right? Or it could be seeing the fact that, uh, that in sometimes the world around you in general. What do you see? You see money ruling the world. You see powers and all sorts of things. Right. And uh, But it is a hope, a, a, a hope in things that we cannot see. Right. What it is. Faith is a gift. Yes. What do you think I mean by that, Vicar? Well, uh, we haven't gotten to the what it ain't, mm-hmm. but uh, this, this begins... To get there, because um, faith being a gift, this is our talk about that uh, by grace through faith. Grace being the giving, God giving us what we do not deserve freely. 
Mm -hmm. which is salvation. Um, and in fact, uh, in our, in our uh, small catechism, when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, Luther is so brilliant with this by saying, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord. Right. But that the gift comes from God uh, through, and this relates to the sower, through the word, hearing the word. Right. That's the means by which faith comes. And, and we would refer to, to baptism, which right. is uh, not just water, but the water combined with God's word. Yeah. All right. What it is. There is only one faith. Yeah. One faith. Right. Ephesians. Um, Ephesians 4. Yeah. And uh, if you want to look that, look that up on your phone, Ephesians 4, uh, I would say, I'm going through my mind, 4 and 5 maybe. Um. And what do I mean by that is, is we talk about, oh, we have differing faiths. There's only one faith that brings salvation. There's only one Christ Jesus who saves us. So, so to say that there is only one faith, just like there is only one church, meaning, you know, saved by Christ Jesus, risen with him. There is only one faith. And so, as uh, Paul would say in, in Ephesians, that is a very unifying thing. Um, that, uh, did you find it there, Vicar? Is that Vicar app buffering over there? Yeah, big time. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're right on. It's Ephesians 4, verses 5 and 6. Okay. So, Ephesians 4, uh, and notice the connection with faith and baptism here, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, starting at verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So, so one faith, meaning there is really, when we talk about different faiths, there is only one. Yeah, yeah, that term, like, people of faith, uh, is being used, uh, especially with our the media, and uh, when many people talk about that, they are talking about people of different religions. Right, it's using a right. different understanding It's using a different understanding. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, I would say this, too, um, and this will get to, well, I'll just bring up the next one, because I think the next one speaks to this, too. What it is. Faith is more about the object of faith rather than the strength of the believer. Right. So what I mean by that is this, is a lot of times when people talk about faith, they, they use it this way. They talk about faith being their personal strength. You know? Yeah. Uh, this is where, where if Berger here, he would, you know, he would be singing some, some cheesy song about, uh, you just got to believe in yourself. That's right. You know, I was, <laughs> so. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And uh, and the object of, of that faith is Christ Jesus. Right. And really, uh, the the whole counsel of, of Scripture. Yeah. You know, the faith, that faith comes from Scripture because both law and gospel, because without law, there is no, 
understanding of sin, sin, the will of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, and and then the, then the gospel, the forgiveness through through Christ Jesus. So right. so faith emphasizes the object rather than the the personal strength, which is great because um, because uh, that when you when you think about faith and you think of the hope that it gives, it, it really turns you outside of yourself rather than asking the question, well, do I have enough faith? Yeah, and it, that, that's going to lead you down two roads. Mm-hmm. It'll lead you to the sin of pride mm-hmm. or, or despair. Or despair, yeah. Yeah. But, it, but if you say, okay, if you focus in faith on the object, Christ died for my sins. Right. Christ promised to forgive me. Uh, the pastor on behalf of Christ forgave my sins. I receive the very body and blood of Jesus. I was baptized in his name. It all points to the object, Christ, his death, his resurrection, and how he has given that grace and mercy through his means to the believer. And that is a very freeing thing if you, if you, re- if you remember that it's all about the object of faith. And, and the fact that we've talked about this too is the fact that it being a gift and that is why we would say that infant children, for example, could have faith. Right. And that's how we can say, you know, sometimes in the midst of mental illness. Right. You know? Yeah. And uh, because it's on, on Christ Jesus. And um, there's an intellectual side of faith, of, of knowing, you know, to a certain degree, and it creates a desire to know more about God's God through his word. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, some of the purest examples of faith that we have are people who may not even have the the intellectual ability to grasp everything. Right. But yeah. if you try to explain to them anything outside of Christ, then they're, they're not having it. Yeah. Uh, how often does Jesus point to the children right. in the Gospels? And not only does he point to children, he says, if you want to receive the kingdom of heaven, you receive it as one of these little children, meaning that even the child has one of the clearest understandings of faith, reliance on right. the gift that God has given them. Yeah, just look at how trusting uh, kids are of their, their parents, you know, versus someone, a stranger they don't know. You know, if dad is uh, is on the other side of, you know, a kid jumping into his arms, mm-hmm. there's a trust there uh, that the child has in the father. And that is paralleled with how children of God relate to their father, too. So, and so, the next, what faith is? What it is? Faith changes us. Absolutely. And, and, and there's an order to this, right? You know, it's not we are changed and then we receive faith. It is a faith itself uh, through conversion. Then that changes us to and teaches us to love God and love one another. Without faith, it is impossible to, to love God. Right. And, and uh, like we've mentioned before, whenever we talk about faith, and uh, this podcast, I can say this, Jesus is always there. Because whenever we talk about faith, we're talking about the object of faith. Right. And so the object of faith changes us uh, when faith is present. And this happens even though we don't see it, always <laughs> right uh you know we don't see it with our eyes uh but in for example holy baptism uh even just hearing the word the holy spirit is working on the heart and creating a heart of flesh from a heart of stone 
mm-hmm. because we're born opposing God. And, yeah. and, and the whole time when I say faith changes us, yeah. you know, the Bible talks about being a new creation. Right. And and the whole time while it changes you, the object of that faith does not change. Right. Yeah. It's still Christ. It is. It's not in, oh, look at me. I'm wor- uh, it, Look at how I have changed. And all of a sudden you can get the cart before the horse and making the change the emphasis. Right. When the emphasis and the object continues to be outside of yourself. Right. In Christ. Right. Yep. All right. So yeah, I've got a couple others, but it kind of gets into the weeds. Sure. I want to. I want to save those for some other time. I want to keep moving. I want to keep moving. So that brings us to what it ain't. What it ain't. Faith is not a work of the law or a work of moral achievement. Yeah. Meaning, faith is not okay. I have to do this. Correct. Which often, I think, people struggle with. Yeah. You know, people, well, oftentimes the pastor will hear, if only I had more faith. Faith. Yeah. And and they're looking at faith in a way that is a a work. A work of man. I actually yeah. talked a little bit about this in, in last Sunday's sermon, uh, where, where, uh, where uh, the land... The land, the master of the vineyard, comes back and he gives everybody the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, and whether someone was there for one hour or the whole day, they all got the same. And and those who were paid last, who had been there the longest, well, I, we thought we'd get more. Well, if 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 you're saved by faith and your trust is in your work, you are going to wind up being some sort of a bean counter. Yeah, you're going to see what's fair and what's not fair. But faith holds to an object. A truth outside of yourself and understands that it's a gift. Well, then you you uh, you rejoice in those who are also who have such faith, whether it's at the beginning or towards the end of their life. But but that I mean, we could talk a lot about this aspect. But but this really is one of the bigger confusion. I think maybe something that that Hannah in her email was getting at a little bit. Sure. That you know belief. And uh, and what separates this is is there is a belief in faith. I mean, I mean it's not just knowing the facts, but it is the appreh- apprehension of the heart. Yeah, it's a fear, love, and trust in God. Right. It's yeah. an, uh, to what God has done. Yeah. But the fact that it's one faith, it doesn't leave it up to just believing really hard because no. then that makes it a work. Right. Yeah. And I mean, if we're talking about it, faith is not purely intellectual. Because we know the demons acknowledged Jesus truthfully, mm-hmm. though they did not, out of faith, um, acknowledge him. They said things like, he's the the son of the Most High, or um, Jesus of Nazareth. So they had a confession of his humanity and even mm-hmm. his divinity. Right. But that's not what faith is. On, it's not, that's not what faith is. It's not purely intellectual. I think this is when we had the discussion on confirmation. This was at the heart of the struggle. Yeah, that's right. Because we want the we want our young people to to know to have an intellectual understanding of the facts, but that's just not enough. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the struggle. Yeah. That is, I think, at the very heart of the struggle when teaching the faith, not only to teach the facts, but also for for 
to, to lead them to hold on to it, to, right. to confess that faith. And understanding that uh, the beautiful thing about our teaching in, the, in our church is that we teach the kids the word of God that is explained in our catechism. Luther did such a nice job with that. Mm-hmm. And that as teachers, as pastors, vicars, whoever is teaching, if there's a, a lay person, if you're teaching confirmation class, that the word of God is actually working through your teaching on the heart of that of that confirmation student mm-hmm. and um, that's a, it's not purely intellectual it's also uh, the Holy Spirit and it primarily is the Holy Spirit's work it's all the Holy Spirit's work <laughs> all right that brings us to another what it ain't what it ain't although faith is personal meaning we are only sa- saved by your own faith right yeah it's not your personal truth. Right. What I mean by that is this. This is kind of something I've been hearing more. Hmm. You know, uh, this is my truth. Right. Okay, what's the object of that, Vicar? If you say this is my truth. Well, it would be yourself. Yourself, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> the object is different. And, and if you say this is my truth when it comes to faith, it's also focused on your truth belief right and the object is not christ and it would insinuate that there is more than one faith yeah true faith yeah yeah there is only one faith right and that faith understands then that there is a will greater than your own now i want you to think about that listener if that's the case when we're talking about faith then then as we heard earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, faith is very unifying. Right. If you becomes your personal truth, then we become our own little churches. Right. We're separating ourselves. And uh, you wind up creating your own God in your own image. You know, then we all become our own preachers. <laughs> right. The church of one. Right. One being yourself. Right. And then it becomes, yeah. well, I, I don't need a, necessarily a church. You know, I can I can hold to these things. And I can, you know, I trust in my own prayer life or whatever the case may be. Right. And and, and it, it creates uh, separatism. You know, you're in a, in a lonely place. Division, which is the work of the devil. I mean, that's the work of the devil. It, it, yeah. And, and, and when we think of, you know, we, we kind of... When you talk about social media or our cell phones, people have commented that it, it makes sometimes the world feel like a very lonely place. Yeah, you see a picture maybe at a subway station in New York City, and there's about 35 millennials, and they're all on their phones, and none, are, none of them are talking to each other. That is, that visual that you just gave us, <laughs> listener, that is basically when everyone says, that's my faith is, my personal truth, that is the kind of church you want, where everyone's sitting with their own cell phones, twiddling their thumbs and their own truth, patting themselves on the back, right. and trying to convince themselves of, of whatever hope that they can grasp. And, and those apps that give uh, through your cell phone, they give you the news, they actually cater what pops up to your interests. They actually like filter through. So you're reading only things that you agree with. Yeah. That's the sort of thing that we're talking about when it comes to faith. Yeah, that happens on my, my Google. 
Okay. When I hit Google, it, it, like all, always, it's like the first thing that pops up is how to increase your bench press when yeah, you're over 45. Yeah, like, I, I figured. I, how do they? What? <laughs> I don't need that. What are you talking about? Yeah, the ads on the ads on Facebook. It's like I've never Google searched Wendy's, but we just talked about it about a half hour ago. Why? There's not even a Wendy's in Hampton. What's going on? What it ain't. Faith is not an emotion. Right. This is, I think, for 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 many also. Um, I think kind of be can be very confusing in the sense that that uh, if faith is a belief or a trust in an object that God gives you outside of yourself, and that object is Christ Jesus, given to us through His Word, right? That emotion is the opposite. Emotion is what's inside, inside of you. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of uh, places um, they emphasize emotionalism. And people equate that with faith. And then guess what happens when they're depressed? They think they don't have faith. Right. Because they don't have the feeling. They don't have the feeling. My faith is gone. Yeah, this, I've been there. I've been there. And that sort of teaching, um, and this this leads to uh, liturgical practices, what happens in church on Sunday morning. Because the the faith bodies that, be, the the Christian denominations that believe that faith, you can uh, measure your faith by your emotions or your feelings, you can tell because their worship services are all about getting your heartbeat up mm-hmm. and getting you to have these sort of mountaintop experiences inside yourself. And so, listener, you know, when you go to your church on Sunday, uh, notice where the focus is. Is it trying, is it your feelings? Or is it the object? The object, and uh, and maybe that helps Hannah in some way with her question too. So, what it ain't? Faith is not a decision. Correct. What do I mean by that? It's not like you throw out a true truth and then you decide, uh, because then faith becomes a work. Right. And it, it, you know what that does to the Word of God? It makes it something that. You approve. It's not a truth. That you know, if you if you make a decision, you're already going back into the. It's my personal truth. Oh, I heard it. Oh, yeah, I can agree to that. You're giving the word of God your own approval. You're making yourself the judge over the word of God. Right. When you make it your decision. Yeah, but uh, just so we can use some big terms for Berg's absence, this is what we call the magisterial use of reason. When you use your reason, your logic, and you put it over the scriptures, instead of submitting to the scriptures with a ministerial use of reason. Well, but you know what, though? I'm going to say this. You know, Berg's not here. Okay. So, you know, I could have gone with uh, the fiducia cordis, actualis. I could have done all that, but, you know. So, finally, we are at faith. What it could be and 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 so with these you know obviously faith the the definition of true faith doesn't change but my point my point in this is when we think of faith how can this understanding bring us hope and comfort when you yeah you you hold to these especially comfort right Yeah. yeah what it could be it can give you a comfort outside of 
yourself. Right. Which really is the only comfort we can have. Right. Because we are such sinful, broken folks that that if if we were to look in ourselves in any way for comfort, we would not find it. But comfort in who Christ is, the object outside of ourselves, then we can, and you, the listener, can have true comfort. Mm-hmm. And I would say this, too. Comfort, not only for you, but I would say it gives you comfort uh, for those who have lost an infant child. Absolutely. You know, uh, this understanding that, that, yes, that infant has faith, had faith, is right. alive in Christ. Right. Because it's not not a work that the baby had to do. It's not a decision the baby had to make. It was a gift of God. And and also, towards the end of life, uh, uh, when when people deal with with um, uh, dementia mm-hmm. uh, or other more profound versions of mental illness, whether it's schizophrenia and all those things where where people do not think clearly and, and, and you maybe love someone in that situation and you might right. wonder, well, where is their faith? Well, if it's about an object, if it's about a work of Christ, it, if it is a gift, it gives you more comfort in those situations of knowing, yes, that, that faith uh, does can and does exist in folks who deal with those type of things because it is a gift. Then you can hold to the promise that God made to them in their baptism. Absolutely. Yeah. God has given us a baptism as a seal and confirmation of his grace grace toward us, his adoption toward us. And we, we can, yeah, we can look back and say, I was baptized at this church on this day. Or if your loved one is in a position where they can't remember, you, as their caretaker, can say, my loved one was baptized at this church on this day through the human hands of this pastor, but baptized by Christ himself. Uh, And and you might think, well, they have trouble verbalizing it. Well, so it's not a work. No. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. What it could be. It could be a real comfort of unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Meaning, if there is only one faith, and you share that faith, that one faith, that one baptism— with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you take out that my personal truth garbage. And so there is a unity, a true unity in your baptism because you're baptized into one faith. And and because the object that we all hold to is the same, there's a unity there too. Right. And because of that, there is a unity in, and because it changes us, it sees, it teaches us to see each other in a different way. It unites us on what we are supposed to be doing as a church and hearing in the church. And, and, and really, faith has a big part of that. If, if everyone runs around thinking, this is my own belief, my own personal truth, right, right. then, then, yeah. then it, you, you lose it. But if you understand that in this one faith, we have true unity, one baptism, one faith by which God has given us, by which he gives us his gifts of the cross. Right. That is truly what can bring unity to us. And and that, and I guess to kind of close out this segment then, um, it brings us to when we talk about faith, right? Uh, we use a word, confess our faith. Right. 
is, is could a conf, when you talk about confess, is that an I word, Vicar? Meaning, no, no, um, and even the what do we say? The word etymology, the Latin behind it, mm-hmm. the con or co. That's together. That's with. together. Yeah. So you yep. are state making a statement together. Correct. That is not your personal truth. Right. And so when we confess together, it's interesting because we confess it together, but we confess, I believe, for example, in the Apostles' Creed right. or the Nicene Creed. And that is, is a beautiful thing because it really combines the two. You confess together while you say, I believe. And, and the object of that is a God who created you, who redeemed you, who called you together as a church mm-hmm. and will, will carry you to everlasting life. So that is a brief what it is, what it ain't, and what it could be discussion on faith. So thank you for the suggestion, uh, Hannah, and uh, we will be now moving on. Yeah, if you have any other suggestions for Pastor Bullhagen to tackle with this segment or— with uh, I haven't given up on the top 12 list. I'm just— Yeah, or a top 12 suggestion or sure. for Pastor Berg— to tackle something with this campfire catechesis. Right. If you have something that has been burning in your... That's right. And it's not prairie <laughs> fire, but something else. Just uh, send a send an email to us, feedback at clericalheirs.org. You know, send a message on our Facebook page, you know, uh, tweet at us, you know, mm-hmm. at clericalheirsp for podcast, you know. So uh, reach out at, to us and uh, we can try to tackle some of your questions or the questions of people that you care about deeply. Hey, and hey, Vicar, by the way, look what we got here. Oh, boy. We're, we're fully embracing technology, and we're not sure exactly how we're going to use this yet, but uh, we have a, a webcam. Yeah, this is a Pro HD webcam. Oh, yes. Uh, something that uh, uh, something the producer suggested. The idea is that perhaps we can have... Uh, if we have some things that the visual is actually more funnier, we can actually show some of that. I don't necessarily want to like the, the whole show to be like some right Face, you know, Facebook Live or something. Right, yeah. right. But have special moments. Maybe yeah. Maybe have special uh, video content for our Patreon subscribers. That's right. An inside look to the Toxin Tasting Studio. So the, as we uh, one more thing we're going to do, and that is this is what I would call a public service moment for vicar that's right <laughs> I, I saw the look on your face we had a winkle a winkle is a pass a meeting where the pastors of a circuit uh meet together and then uh, we we have a uh discussion um casuistry basically any issues that we're dealing with or something that we'd like to talk out obviously discussion on theology and those type of things well then we have lunch and uh, the look on vicar's face when i asked uh, all these pastors, what are you doing for Lent, your midweek services this year? What was their response, Vicar? Uh, one fine gentleman who's working on his dissertation at a seminary uh, said, I don't think past tomorrow. And as you know, <laughs> we're a couple weeks out from Lent still. Right. Okay. So he ha- he hasn't really given it a thought. And the other fine gentleman who already has a doctorate, um, kind of looked at me and laughed and said, "Yeah, I haven't thought about it." <laughs> and, and I was, I was disappointed. But you know, I'm just a vicar, so what do I know? You know, I, 
Well, well, part of it is I told you to start thinking about it about four months ago. Well, this is this is true. Um, and so, because uh, we are we seek to help our brother pastors, right? That's this right. is our public service uh, for those pastors who do not have their Lenten midweek services figured out. I told Vicar, you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to do. To kind of lay this out, so if you're a pastor, if you don't know what you're doing for your midweek Lenten services, Vicar has done all the heavy lifting. That's right. The, the Vicar app is coming through for you today. He's going to give you the themes. He's going to give you the <laughs> Bible passages, everything you need. And if and if you're using this, it's free. And by free, I mean free will offering. That's right. So. You, you may, if you, you're using this, you know, you can say, well, I normally give, you know, $100 to this publication, you know. To That's right. See, we're giving it to you free, all free. So from the back of the vicar. That's right. To your table. And I was not coerced to do this. I was not at <laughs> gunpoint or knife point. This right. is. <laughs> what was the, the very, one of the first questions I asked you in the very first episode? Gun to your head. Right. What animal noise was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it was a toucan. I think my wife still gives me grief about that. So, <laughs> All right. So, carried away, Vicar. Okay. So, uh, as uh, some of you may be aware, uh, Lent and Advent bring about an extra service in many of the churches in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And uh, I'll just briefly talk about Lent as a season and then uh, get into what the midweek is. Lent is the shortened uh, form of the word uh, lengtum, meaning spring season. Uh, this is the season that we're coming into out of winter. Um, and the se- church season of Lent uh, leads up into Passion Week, uh, which uh, starts with Palm Sunday and goes on with Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. It's recorded as early as the 4th century that the church recognized this 40-day season, uh, not counting Sundays, uh, as a time that the church spent teaching. And uh, they spent the time teaching because uh, they would often have most, the majority of their baptisms on the night before Easter, which we call the Easter Vigil. And and some Lutheran churches... Uh, celebrate that service uh, even today, continuing that mm-hmm. long tradition uh, beginning way back uh, in the 3rd, 4th century. So, um, continuing with the, the theme of catechesis, I decided to have a sermon series for the midweek services based on baptism. Now, now to be, with, with these services, um, we'll be using the, the regular propers for Ash Wednesday and for Holy Week, so we, we have right. five here, the five right. uh, midweek services um, that we will have after Ash Wednesday. After Ash Wednesday, that's right. Yeah, so um, so the readings are readings that I selected that um, all line up with my theme, and the intent of this uh, this sermon series on baptism is to teach about what holy baptism is. Uh, here in Hampton, we have the unique opportunity of having our services on the radio, and there's a good chance that there'll be some uh, Christians or maybe even non-Christians f- not familiar with holy baptism and what the Scripture teaches and how we understand it in the Lutheran Church. And so, and and I think we should we'll work on maybe putting those 
on the those sermons that you have yeah. for the series on the on the, the the podcast. That's right. So if you don't do it this year, you can always come back and take a look next year. So yeah, if we were smart, we'd have you do them all a week earlier so that you oh. know these pastors can. Oh boy. That's, All right, that's so a, get into okay, this. Okay, so let's go. Um, so it's I'm using Luther's flood prayer, which is a prayer that Luther wrote and added to his baptismal booklet in 1529, um, which was attached to the, the end of the small catechism, actually, for a while. It is not uh, a booklet that uh, is in every book of Concord, but it is in some of them. And in uh, the baptismal booklet, Luther translated the baptismal rite, which is what the church does when there's a baptism in the church, from Latin to German. And one of the things he added, he kept a lot of things. One of the things he added was this prayer. I'm not going to read the prayer. If you'd like to take a look at it, it's in the Lutheran service book, uh, pages 268 and 269. You can also Google Luther's Martin Luther's flood prayer. And it'll be one of the first hits on the internet. So it's translated into English. It ended up in the Lutheran service book, which is a, a great blessing to the church, which it's a first hymnal written in English that has Luther's flood prayer. So um, I would have loved to ask Berg about TLH omitting Luther's flood prayer, but it just wasn't in English yet at that time. So here goes Lent number one, the first midweek. My title is Baptism is a Saving Flood. Obviously, the title of Luther's flood prayer um, gives the indication that he's going to be talking about how baptism is a flood. And it's a saving flood. Just as uh, the flood in Noah's day had a saving aspect to it, not simply the ark, but also the fact that the, all wickedness was wiped out from the mm -hmm. earth. Um, so we'll be reading the flood account, Genesis chapter 7, chapter 8, just a couple verses from both of those. Uh, as well as 1 Peter uh, 3, 18 to 22, which is when uh, the Apostle Peter says, baptism now saves you, and it corris baptism corresponds to, no to the flood in Noah's day. And um, that's number one. So baptism is a saving flood. Hey, Peter, maybe uh, you can put the, uh, the top 12 numbers on there. Make Vicar feel cool. Number oh, yeah, one. that's right. Number one. And number one. Yeah, that's right. Lent two. Number two. Uh, baptism drowns sin. Now, I'm not really talking about the drowning aspect of the flood in the first week, but that's not the only place that we see drowning, saving God's people. Uh, when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, God opened the Red Sea for them so they could pass through, but he closed it on Pharaoh and his whole host. And Pharaoh drowned in the sea. So for this week, I'm using Exodus 15, 1 to 19, which is Moses's song of deliverance. Uh, the horse and the rider had been thrown into the sea. They sunk to the depths like a stone. And talking about in our baptism, who is uh, the one being drowned is our old Adam, which is our sinful nature, as well as the devil and his hosts. Luther was okay with an exorcism at the beginning of the baptismal rite, rite mm -hmm. because 
he believed, and it is, it's in scripture that we are born in the dominion of darkness. We're born dead in sin. We're born uh, aligned with the devil. <laughs> and in our baptism, the Holy Spirit takes up residence, which means the other guy gets kicked out. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm also using Romans 5, which talks about uh, specifically Adam's sin and how in Adam all have sinned. Right. Uh, Romans 5, 12 to 21. Number three. Number three. Baptism is a lavish washing. So this takes a different angle than the flood. The flood is this uh, destructive, I mean, it reshapes land. It's, you know, uh, the land is totally different. The lavish washing part of baptism um, speaks not only to the generosity of our Lord, which we talked about in the parable of the vineyard last mm-hmm. last week, but it also talks about how we are clean in our baptism with the white garment that we are given, uh, which is Christ's righteousness, not our own. Uh, so for this, I'm taking kind of an interesting angle. I'm using a passage from Leviticus 15, which is uh, speaking to how on the Day of Atonement, uh, the priest had to wash himself before he entered the Holy of Holies. I'm also using Titus 3, 3-7 that talks about the generous pouring out of the Holy Spirit that washes over us and, uh, and bringing out the aspect of our washing in baptism by the water and the word uh, and how now we may stand in the Holy of Holies we may stand in the presence of God on account of Christ. All right. All right. Number four. Number four. Baptism keeps us safe and secure. Uh, not only do we see this in the ark, not only do we see it in the deliverance of Moses and the Israelites from, from Pharaoh, but we also see it in Psalm 91. Psalm 91 uh, speaks to uh, well, it speaks to the one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High God, who abides in the shadow of the Almighty. This becomes our home in baptism, that God will deliver us from the snare of the fowler. Uh, he will cover us. Under his wings we will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. All of these speak to uh, where we are now in Christ through our baptism. We will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day. We hear kind of uh, a little bit of the armor of God in this as well. Uh, but I don't go there in, in my New Testament reading. I actually go to John chapter 10 and I go to the good shepherd. There you go. Just as a, a shepherd keeps his, his lambs, his sheep safe and secure, so too we are. Do you have what verses you have for that? John 10, 1 to 18. So okay. I do the whole thing. Because there's some yeah. some pastors writing these down. That's right. <laughs> that's right. No royalties in this. Just, that's right. John 10, 1 to 18. And for the psalm, I do the whole psalm. Psalm 91, uh, 1 to 16. Okay. Number five. Number five. Baptism leads to a life of service and praise. Yeah, I'll just read the part in Luther's Flood Prayer that I pull this from. Just a reminder that each of these titles, these themes, 
are all pulled from Luther's flood prayer. And you'll see, if you pull it up, uh, you'll kind of see where I'm where I'm talking about this. But the last part of the flood prayer says, "Grant that we be kept safe and secure." That's what the number four was about in the holy ark of the Christian church, being separated from the multitude of unbelievers. And serving your name at all times with a fervent spirit and a joyful hope, so that with all believers in your promises we would be declared worthy of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For the text on uh, baptism leading to a life of service and praise, I bring out the new creation aspect of baptism. Mm-hmm. In particular, I go to Ezekiel 36, verse uh, 24, that talks about. Uh, get, that God will give us a new heart, a new spirit, that he will remove the heart of stone from our flesh and give us a heart of flesh. And, um, you know, the the scriptures are just uh, very, very poetic, I suppose is one way to, to write, to, to say it. But that Pharaoh, the hard-hearted Pharaoh is drowned in the sea. And that's, that is, a, that teaches us about our baptism that our own hard heart is drowned so that a heart of flesh may rise mm-hmm. and and serve God by serving our neighbor we don't just serve God um, uh, by doing um, praying in a certain way or uh, doing uh, particular things uh, by ourselves God calls us to serve our neighbor and, and sacrifice in love outside of ourselves. So I use Ezekiel 36, 24 to 28, as well as 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 31. This is uh, one body with many members. And this goes back to faith right. unifying I've us. seen a lot of parallels between our earlier discussion. Yeah. And that makes, I guess that makes sense when, when we talk about baptism because we know that baptism is the giving of the Holy Spirit and indeed by the word of God, the giving of faith to an individual. Because when there's a baptism, there's God's word. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what creates and sustains faith. Uh, so I use uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and I go 12 to 31. And this talks about um, how we're individually members. We don't lose individuality. We're still our own person redeemed by Christ, but we're brought into a community. Mm -hmm. We're brought into a body. And each person has different gifts. And uh, like any family, each person has a different personality and offers something else to the table. Um, And uh, this speaks to uh, a life of service and praise together as the church without losing our individuality. Mm -hmm. So... That is our public service. Our public service to you. So, so listener, which would be actually kind of funny. That would be kind of funny if you didn't know your pastor listened to this episode. That's right. That would be awesome. <laughs> and then you're like, wait a minute. I've heard that before. That's that's like at the seminary. Did I tell you about this? No. One time at the seminary, um, we have we have uh, Holy Communion every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. One time at the seminary, and they preach on the text that was from the previous week. Right. I hear, I'm sitting in church on Sunday, and I feel, and, and the pastor has a good sermon. It's a great, it's a great sermon. He delivers it well. There's law and gospel. I couldn't even tell you what the text is on, but 
it was scary because on Wednesday, different preacher at the seminary, same exact sermon, word for word. Really? And I was sitting back and I was, I, it was a strange thing. And I never, I never found out how that happened, but it, 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 it makes me curious about that. So, uh, but I, have a, I have a question. <laughs> would that, would that work? Can you imagine, uh, if I preached some, someone else's sermon or someone tried to preach my sermon, oh, that yeah. would work? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. But what I've done is I've given you just a launching pad. Right. Your right. your sermons will be very different. Right. But emphasizing that the teaching part of Lent, as well as the comfort that we can give our people in their baptism, giving them new language, and so that they crack open the scriptures and they see their baptism all over the place. Mm-hmm. Because God delivers you in your baptism. It's his work on you. Just like faith is not man's work, but God's. All right. Well... Thank you, Vicar. We'd like to dedicate this show to Berg. That's right. Hope you're feeling better. Thank you for uh, listening to our One and a Half Pastors episode. Um, I am Bullhagen. I'm Vicar. And uh, may your Lent be prepared. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.